0: Welcome to the next episode of Grid Forward Chats, a podcast series with industry leaders on what lies ahead for our electric grid. I'm Bryce Yonker, Executive Director of Grid Forward and host of our podcast series. I'm here today out of Portland, Oregon, and we're talking to Matthew McDonald, Director at and Consulting. Matthew, thanks for being on with us.
1: Thanks, Bryce. Uh... Very happy to be here. Uh, great to connect with you and, and talk through these critical issues as uh, we're navigating uh, rather uncertain times right now.
0: Matthew, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, what Strategen Consulting does, your role there as director?
1: Yeah, happy to do that, Bryce. Thanks. Uh, so a little bit about Stratagen. Uh We're a, a global professional services firm, and uh, we're, we're dedic- mission-driven and, and dedicated to decarbonizing energy systems through both um, effective regulation and, and market development. Um, Strategen works across uh, three distinct platforms of its business, association management, consulting, of which I'm a part, and uh, convenings. And we've got offices in Berkeley, California, uh, Portland, Oregon, and, and Brisbane, Australia as well. As as for me, as you mentioned, I'm a director with Strategen's U.S. consulting group, And in that role, I I support um, a number of private and public sector clients across uh, a wide variety of domains, so uh, energy storage to power system planning, grid modernization, uh, distributed energy resources, and uh, increasingly the development of of new utility business models and and, uh, regulatory frameworks. Today is
0: Friday, May 1st. Here in Portland, Oregon, we're at a stay-at-home order. I assume you guys have something similar there in Arizona. Matthew, before we jump into the conversation today, can you just share a little bit about how are you? How are you doing?
1: Well, no, thanks for asking, Bryce. I, you know, I'm doing well. Um, I'm doing well. It's, these are, these are difficult and often unsettling times, but, you know, I I try to focus on the fact that there is, I have much to be grateful for. I I am, you know, as a parent with two young children, uh, you know, my wife and I we're, were certainly negotiating the adventure that is, that is schooling from home while working from home. Um, and uh, we're doing our best to stay stay sane. You know, admittedly, some days are, are better than others on that front. But uh, all told, we're we're doing really well. Um, our governor here just uh, extended our sort of uh, shelter in place uh, orders in Arizona through uh, the middle of, of May, through May fifteenth. So uh, we'll we'll continue on this uh, path for for some time now. But uh, all told, we're doing really well. Ho- hope you are as well, Bryce.
0: Yep, we're doing fine here in Oregon. The family and I are laying low and we're doing just fine. Expect to hear from the governor soon on some updates, but we're just going to be rolling with the punches. Thanks for asking. Man, our paths crossed some time back a handful of years ago when you were at the Hawaii Public Utility Commission. You've gotten really deeply immersed into business models and regulatory evolution. Can you tell us a little bit about your history, your background, and what led you into your current role here at Stratagen?
1: Yeah, I'm happy to. So, yeah, I, I you know I had the privilege of of serving close to five years as as commission counsel at the Hawaii Public Utilities Commission, um, and as, as you know, Bryce, uh, Hawaii is on the leading edge uh, of the energy transition. You know, it's the first state to adopt a 100 percent renewable portfolio standard, and, and remains a global leader in, in per capita DER adoption. Um, so, yeah, it was it was a challenging and exciting place to be to tackle myriad uh, technical economic and policy issues that arose along the way. Um, and, you know, there really wasn't much of a blueprint for us to follow and, and often found ourselves needing to establish, you know, best practices in, in real time. So, you know, I, I was fortunate that, you know, my work extended across you know, virtually the, the entire value chain of the electric power system there in Hawaii. So from renewables integration to grid modernization, uh, distributed energy resources, uh, community-based solar program, and and then you know towards the end of my tenure, uh, a real focus on leading Hawaii's efforts to comprehensively you know examine and implement an advanced uh, performance-based regulatory framework, sort of evolving the regulatory structures to to keep pace with the evolution of the the energy system overall. Let's dive into some of the issues can you
0: outline some of the regulatory matters that you have worked on and the storm that's brewing out there as we deal with the health crisis? What what kind of fallout are we going to see in regulatory and policy-related matters from all this pandemic that we're dealing with?
1: Yeah. So, you know, in many ways, you know, I look at uh, this pandemic as, as sort of akin to a kind of perfect, you know, 50 state storm insofar as there's, you know, not a service territory or, or jurisdiction nationally that's, you know, really, truly untouched by this. Um, the impacts will be uneven, um, but, you know, they've, they've both been of a significant magnitude, um, not unlike, a, say, a named storm event, uh, but with, with also the potential for a much longer duration. Uh, that one would experience from, from a storm events, you know, given the fact that we're, you know, highly likely to be entering, um, you know, a fairly significant economic recession uh, as as the economic impacts of of the shelter in place order, orders, you know, continue to be felt. Um, so, you know, as states immediately began to to roll out their shelter in place orders, you know, we've seen commercial and industrial load decline. You know, overall overall load declines, you know, have generally ranged nationally between like 5 to 15%, you know, certainly, um, you know, varying degrees of impact. Uh, New York, for instance, experiencing a little bit more significant declines than some other jurisdictions. Um, and then, you know, those low declines have been more pronounced even in, in Europe as well. Um, so, you know, what we were seeing initially as, as a result of this pandemic was that, you know, states initially moved to these shelter-in-place orders to, to begin to, to flatten the curve. And that, that's what's driving a lot of the load declines in commercial and industrial activity. We also were seeing, you know, a lot of state jurisdictions um, make sure that electric service, you know, remained essential and, and online. So we've seen by last count something like 20 states have ordered shut-off moratoriums uh, for utilities. That's so sort of um, blanket uh, disconnection. Moratoriums, and then another—you know—29 states utilities have, have voluntarily instituted the same. So um, we have a combination of of factors that, if you know, these shelter-in-place orders last longer than expected, or if the economic impacts are, you know, more significant um, than we might uh, hope or expect, uh, with respect to sort of some of the uncollectibles or, or bad debt expenses beginning to pile up, um, you know, the industry could face some some longer-term impacts as a result of this, and. You know what we're looking at is that essentially a, a variety of different regulatory actions are likely to be necessary in order to, to begin to tackle this and, and the nature of complexity of which you know of these responses will need to sort of evolve over time.
0: Absolutely. So I'd like to talk about a number of those regulatory aspects. As I see it, there's a couple key factors that are going to be influencing the energy dynamics in a significant way. There's an unprecedented amount of residential energy customers who are really going to be seeing issues uh, in paying their bills. And on the other side of the equation, you've taken off a dramatic amount of the CNI customer base. The the consumer and industrial customers are, are probably not coming back for some time. What level of magnitude do you think this is going to have on the customers and what sort of solutions are out there to deal with all of this?
1: Well, yeah, I think, you know, I think there will be some impact, uh, certainly. And, you know, the magnitude of which I, I believe will vary depending both on, you know, which state you, you know, which state you're in and the severity of the shelter in place restrictions and how long those continue, um, as well as, you know, for each service territory, you know, how, how dependent. um are they on on CNI load going forward? But you know, essentially, what what you could expect to be you know happening here relatively quickly is is a, a fairly significant gap between you know revenue revenue collection and you know just expenditures on the grid. As as you know, we we collect a lot of relatively fixed costs through volumetric rates, and uh, you know significant declines of this magnitude, even if we're seeing some uptick in. In residential load, as a result of everyone you know working and playing from home, um, it's it's likely not going to be enough to make up for the, the CNI load declines, and so uh, we could expect to see some some revenue gaps. Uh, quite frankly, and you know how you deal with those, um, you know becomes becomes an important question that uh, states will have have to be tackling here in the in the very near future. I think.
0: What an interesting challenge, indeed. Can you elaborate a bit more on the solutions that are out there? I agree that having customers pay more at a time like now really is just not a very viable solution,
1: yeah, you know I'd say as an as a sort of threshold matter, you know something that's important for both utilities and regulators alike is to begin by you know transparently tracking you know any and all sort of covid nineteen related cost impacts. Um you know I think this is going to be really important. you know all stakeholders, are going to need to have an open and candid conversation about, you know, which which types of costs and which categories of costs are, are truly attributable to this crisis, uh, you know, versus other costs that, you know, may may be tangential. Um, and then, you know, how, how best to deal with the need to recover those costs. Um, and and I think utilities should begin to think about collecting and surfacing current, both current and historical data now, um, and be, be prepared to sort of, separate the signal from the noise and, and, and make a case and demonstrate um you know that that these impacts that they're they're pointing to are, are truly attributable to the uh to the, the crisis itself and, and are not sort of business as usual and And i think for instance this could be um highlighted in terms of you know bad debt or uncollectible expenses that you know that that there's a demonstration that there's a, a real strong uptick uh as a result of of the policies that have been put in place and the economic impacts that we're experiencing um, In terms of, you know, so that's sort of the threshold that is like begin to, to track these costs. Um, and, and the reason for doing so is that it gives you a lot of flexibility going forward, um, you know, primarily as a regulator. If if you're thinking about, you know, how best to mitigate, um, you know, some any any types of upward pressure on rates during this time, I mean, it's going to be very hard for customers in, in a time of economic crisis such as this, as well as, you know, a public health crisis to To really absorb any sort of rate increase um, as a result of these revenue shortfalls, so you know, I think um, what we've seen in the financial sector is that um, you know interest rates are, are very low and are likely to remain low for the for the foreseeable future, and utilities are increasingly be, being viewed as they often have historically as as a really safe sector for investment, and you know, I think utilities will have some opportunities to. You know, refinance debt and, and keep their uh, financial position strong. But in addition to that, we'll we'll need to ensure that um, you know there aren't any cost recovery issues that are hanging out there. And so we can look at things like a regulatory asset that you know we'd collect uh, you know through a cost tractor, collect the um, associated costs with COVID nineteen, and and begin to amortize those out over a longer time horizon to to really smooth out. Um, the impacts that customers would be uh, experiencing, especially now when they're perhaps least uh, least able to absorb them. Um, and, and, you know, I think for a number of states that have decoupling mechanisms already in place, there is, um, you know, a, a host of other issues that will come up uh, that that impact sort of discussions around that decoupling mechanism, be it in a rate case or, you know, in a, in a true up type of proceeding. Um you know it's it's hard to sort of talk about decoupling mechanisms generally because each is a bit unique they each have their own you know uh, nuances and, and different um, you know, cost caps and, and, and other mechanisms but you know on the generally speaking on the one hand I think a you know a state with a decoupling mechanism will you know have some built-in insulation for utilities or at least a little bit of a cushion and, and to mitigate some of the the revenue impacts from all of this Um again, depending on how that decoupling mechanism is designed, but um, you know decoupling mechanisms themselves are not designed for this type of uh, event and you know they're they're really designed with uh, an effort to sort of remove uh, and delink the the incentive to increase sales and and help um, you know unlock barriers to investment in energy efficiency and distributed energy resources. so not not truly designed for an event of this magnitude so, you know, other other approaches will likely be necessary and I, I sort of point back to the, the cost tracker in, in sort of amortizing those out over time as as a, a way to sort of pull them these costs out of the decoupling mechanism and, and you know making sure that we're protecting customers as we're also ensuring the financial integrity of of utilities going forward. What can we do
0: to shield and, and protect customers from a major shock? that they would face by something like an increase in in prices.
1: One thing we might begin to expect on a going forward basis as, you know, the federal government begins to shift away from, you know, stabilizing the financial sector and, and, you know, some of the more immediate impacts, um, with, with the, you know, the PPP program and, and small business loans, you know, we might see as a part of more recovery focused efforts that, um, You know the utility sector is included in that, and you know I think that uh, I've you know been hearing some increasing conversations about you know how best to do that. You know if we go back to the to our points about you know tracking these costs in a in a specific regulatory asset, you know if if there were to be some federal assistance to utilities for you know either bad debt expense or other expenses related to COVID nineteen, you know having those expenses being transparently um, tracked and, and allocated in a, in a separate account would, you know, certainly expedite and facilitate, you know, the application of, of any, any type of federal funding that may come through. And, and that would certainly be, you know, one way to um, begin to address some of the knock-on effects that may place some upward pressure on, on uh, you know, customer costs. And, and again, agree with you, Bryce, that we want to want to stay away from that. Um, Absent, you know, federal intervention, you know, I think there's, you know, we'd have, there's no silver bullet, certainly. I mean, we'll have to start thinking more creatively, um, you know, about how best to protect customers. But, um, you know, it may include things like um, some some limited duration sort of uh, emergency rate structures or some low to moderate income focused, you know, programs and rate structures that are, you know, really focused on the most vulnerable sectors of of the service territory and, and population. And, um, you know, to that end, you know, that starts to bleed into conversations around, well, how do we create a regulatory environment where we can begin to push out and deploy a, a new low-income focused rate design on sort of an emergency basis um, that doesn't sort of take us you know, eighteen to twenty-four months to to go through an approval cycle. Since that that would likely be, you know, too late to to really um, make an impact and, and help out consumers. So um, that's when I begin, you know, talking about concepts like a regulatory sandbox that gives utilities some space on a you know limited time duration to, you know, quickly deploy and roll out customer facing offerings um, such as those that might be really helpful during this crisis. Um, you know, with some, some common sense guardrails around them. But, you know, creating that space to, to innovate and, and get some, some, uh, some assistance deployed pretty quickly.
0: Yeah, maybe we can keep our conversation around the toolkit going for just a bit longer here. I know that you were quite close to performance-based regulation in Hawaii when you were at the commission. How can the dynamics that are playing out right now support or maybe complicate the potential for something along the lines of performance-based regulation to progress?
1: Quite frankly, I, I think um, the dynamics that are being brought to bear really um, sort of highlight, underscore, and, and enhance the, the value of moving towards more of a, a performance-based framework um, you know, already what we've seen is is those states that have some of these alternative regulatory mechanisms, such as uh, revenue decoupling or multi-year rate plans and, and earnings sharing mechanisms. And I think utilities and, and regulators alike will have a perhaps outsized uh, role to play in, in, in those recovery efforts. And, you know, as we're beginning to you know, harness capital and deploy it to implement, you know, energy storage, renewable energy, and, and sort of continuing to progress on this ongoing energy transition, it's going to be really important for, you know, regulators and utilities alike to have the incentive structures aligned to sort of maximize the effectiveness of, of how that capital is deployed. And, you know, in addition to that, we've touched on this already, there's going to be a lot of, you pressures brought to bear around the need to keep costs low um, and what I think well-designed performance-based frameworks including multi-year rate plans with with uh, attendant uh, metrics attached to it you know can really help uh, with some cost containment pressures for utilities providing them some some new earnings opportunities on the one hand but also importantly, um, you know, providing some cost savings uh, opportunities that can be passed along to customers as well. So, you know, I see, you know, the trend lines um, for this type of, of regulatory discussions and, and um, evolution to, to perhaps begin to accelerate, uh, given given the needs of the current system going forward.
0: I'd like to dig a bit deeper. It, it seems like the proclivity for risk is dropping and our sensitivity to price is rising at the same time. How does that play into the regulatory evolution efforts, business model adjustments, and the like?
1: No, it's it's a great question, and um, you know I think depending on how you structure, um, you know, your sort of alternative regulatory mechanisms, or or a more performance focused, performance based regulatory framework. You know to me at least in our discussions in Hawaii and in some of the other states that I've been interacting with you know taking a hard look at um, risk allocation you know you know who's who's holding the most amount of risk in, in the regulatory framework is it the customer or is it the utility I think finding that right balance is going to be really important um, and I think you can do so through a performance-based framework in a way that you know strikes strikes a a great balance that while it may push some more risk away from customers as it historically has been uh, and and back onto the utility, it it also affords the utility, um, you know, in in conjunction with that additional risk opportunities for additional earnings, um, you know, perhaps above and beyond what what was available to that utility previously. So, you know, I think what you... What you would all optimally do is is begin to construct a framework that balances a number of different mechanisms that you know sort of bounds the downside risk to the utility, you know bounds the upside, um, and sort of you know put some guardrails around what impacts may be felt by customers, um, but also strikes that right balance between um, shifting some cost away from customers and onto the utility, and also Incenting the utility to really drive down operational costs, especially in a time like this, where um, that's probably going to be warranted um, and desired as a result of the sensitivity to price increases that you rightly pointed out, Bryce. So, in my mind, you know, performance-based frameworks can really find the sweet spot and, and achieve a lot of these uh, a lot of these objectives in a way that's you know fair to all the parties in the system. Can we talk a bit about timeline? So the
0: the system is facing a shock at this very point in time. What sort of regulatory and policy impa- impacts do you see unfolding in the short term versus what could happen uh, a bit more midterm? And by short term, I maybe mean the next couple months and midterm, really maybe the next six to 18 months.
1: Yeah. So... You know, I think once immediate actions to ensure essential service have been tackled, you know, and that's that's you know largely been the case already with with almost all uh, the states either voluntarily or, or via commission order, sort of um, you know suspending a disconnection. Um, you know, I think state regulators will will need to think about and examine how best to to focus limited resources to to address critical needs. Um, you know, I expect this to remain a highly dynamic environment and, and urgent needs may well emerge on, on short notice, uh, but, but commissions, utilities, and, and consumer advocates alike will, will be adjusting to an all-virtual workforce, um, and, and these factors will undoubtedly uh, place, uh, you know, further strain on an already limited regulatory bandwidth. So in light of these constraints, you know, I think states will need to thoughtfully prioritize their regulatory actions and requests. Uh, according to categories of, of highest need and impact. And I'd suggest that, yeah, first, states should look to ensure reliable and affordable services are, are in place. And because these are fundamental to utility regulation and always a core focus of the regulatory mission. Um, in, in this emergency, you know, I think we can expect to see new and rapidly evolving challenges to maintaining reliable service. And, you know, states should prioritize urgent requests that, that threaten the provision of essential services and, and balance the need for, for flexibility with transparency. Um, in addition, you know, as economic conditions continue, continue to deteriorate, we may expect that utility customers will face increasing difficulties in paying their bills, right? So many states and utilities, you know, have already taken steps to, to modify their disconnection policies, as I mentioned. Uh, which is an important initial step but going forward you know new proposals and partnerships uh, will probably be necessary to help residents and businesses better manage their their utility bills through this crisis more on a sort of sustainable footing longer term Um, you know i'd say secondly um, states should remain committed um, to achieving important clean energy and public policy goals i I think that prioritizing high impact regulatory activities that support near-term clean energy targets uh, and long-term transformation of the energy system should should remain paramount. and um, these should include policy investigations and procurement efforts that are that are currently underway. And, and there's a really strong tie-in to you know supportive economic recovery as a result of these activities. so it's it's really important to to make sure those are moving forward as as best they can. Um, you know uh, third, you know I think, this is sort of dovetails with, with, with the second point I made, but, you know, in recognition of the, the severe economic disruption currently underway and likely to continue even after the immediate crisis subsides, you know, I'd suggest that states should, should begin to push ahead with, you know, ongoing initiatives, as I mentioned, that, that really support clean energy development and and economic recovery as a, as a core, core part of the prioritization framework they, they put into place.
0: Well, what a great conversation we've had, today, Matt. Clearly, the paths ahead for regulatory and business model issues around the electric grid are going to be quite interesting and, and quite dynamic. As we wrap up our conversation today, could you maybe share some insights on twofold? Uh, when you look out to the marketplace, what's what's one thing that you're uh, staying a, a bit concerned about? Uh, something that that uh, you're a bit worried, maybe, maybe unfolding out there. And on the flip side, what are you holding out hope for? What, what's an opportunity that maybe excites you or that you think is going to be a, a positive change that's coming up?
1: I'll share on the sort of the darker side of the coin. You know, there, there's a lot that does concern me as we work our way through this crisis. Certainly. Um, you know, I think first and foremost in my mind, you know, want to make sure that the, the public health impacts of this are, are being addressed. Um, but, you know, more immediately as we turn our narrow lens to the, the power sector itself, you know, I think the economic impacts of this will be will be significant as we begin to, to feel those, uh, you know, the, the unemployment numbers that we've been seeing come in um, are rather striking. And, you know, I think the customer's ability to, to pay is going to be strained, um, at least in the near to medium term. And so, you know, I and I think that even with, as states begin to return to quote unquote business as, as normal, you know, I think what we'll see is a hesitancy on the part of consumers to really step back out and, and sort of jump back into to life as it was pre-COVID-19. So the revenue pressures that we've been talking about on a on part of utilities, you know, I think will uh, persist perhaps at a, a lesser degree, but will likely persist over, over a course of many months. And, you know, the combination of those two things I think is going to be very challenging. And, and it's something that, that certainly concerns me. You know, I, I also look as well to um, a lot of the, the clean energy activities. And I think um, in the near term there's, you know, there's supply chain disruptions um, you know, project uh, development is, is being impacted as a result of this. And I, you know, I think that's causing a lot of near-term pain. And, and that, that concerns me as well. You know, it's all, all tied together, sort of all part of the same tapestry in terms of, you know, the economic uh, impacts that this is, this is bringing to bear. You know, on the flip side of that coin, um, you know, what I, what I think will happen as a result of this, and, and I'm very optimistic that while there is going to be some really difficult uh, moments in the sort of months ahead, and this is going to be a bumpy ride in the near term, I'd say that in the long term what this will do particularly for the energy industry uh, and, and and more specifically the clean energy industry this will likely accelerate um, efforts going forward I think the there's there's a lot of lessons to be extracted from this experience in this crisis the the, the power that you know proactive activities can have you know in terms of the 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 impacts and and Addressing issues retroactively, I think, are far more economically costly, and and the need for economic recovery and stimulus, I think, again, um, clean energy infrastructure and clean energy deployments will be a huge part of that. So, uh, I think continuing to move forward and transforming our energy system, and you know, with utilities and regulators at the heart of, of that transition here in the United States, I think is going to be uh, a really exciting thing to watch over the the medium to long term as we begin to. Uh, recover and and rebuild and and, and build back better than than what we've done before more resilient cleaner uh, and uh, more equitable thanks matthew
0: for being on today's episode of grid forward chats
1: well thanks so much for having me bryce this has been a a great conversation and and, uh, hope to do it again sometime
0: thanks for listening to today's session of grid forward chats our podcast series with industry leaders on what's driving grid modernization and innovation ahead. Do you have an idea for one of our podcasts? Send me an email, bryce at gridforward.org. You can also check out our website, gridforward.org, for more information about our podcasts, the virtual events we have, becoming a member, and more of our mission to promote grid innovation and accelerate modernization across the region.